Is there a story in Scripture, an event in Scripture, something that comes up while, while, while you're doing your own personal reading or if you're in church or in a, a class somewhere and, you hear, and you're like, man, I, I absolutely would have loved to have been there. Not to necessarily experience what the people in the story were experiencing, but maybe more just to observe it, just to watch it, just to be able to see all of the events. Is there, is there any story like that? Go, go ahead and shout one out if you got one. You're like, I would have loved to be there for that. The what? The road to Emmaus. That would have been pretty cool. That would have been very cool. <laughs> Joseph and his brothers. I think that somebody else was saying the same thing over here. Yeah, so you guys both said the same thing. And revealing himself to his brothers, that'd been like pretty cool. Hey, I'm your brother. Remember me? And they would have said, no, you're... Yeah, anyway, sorry. <laughs> Moses part in the Red Sea. I would have loved to see that one for sure. How about, how about Jericho? I would have loved to watch that one. I wouldn't have wanted to walk around the, the wall. I'm, I'm lazy. But I would, have loved to see the, I would have loved to see the wall come down and the expression on everybody's face when it actually happened. Um, that would have been cool. Um, I would have loved to see Jesus walk on the water. I, I, at first I was thinking about it, like I would love to see him calm the wind and the waves, but that would put me too close to the storm. And I'd much rather be over here. But I'd love to see Jesus walking towards us on the water and just being like, right? I mean, there's a lot of stories like that in scripture. You're like, I would love to... To, to be there, but, but there's one that I'm kind of thankful that I wasn't a witness to. It begins, and you're familiar with the story, particularly as we go through Hebrews, we keep bringing up Moses and the Exodus and, and the different things that happened in those stories between Moses and Pharaoh and the children of Israel. But, but Moses, as you know, because you've seen Charlton Heston's movie, The Ten Commandments, so you understand how this works, came to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no, no. A couple times he said, sure, and then changed his mind. And, but he wouldn't release the Israelites from their slavery. And so uh, Moses, um, and through, God through Moses, brought plague after plague after plague after plague on the people of Egypt until finally, and finally God says um, in this, this incredible, I don't know, I don't know how to say it. I'll, I'll say profoundly prophetic moment. Moses is told by God that... Um, the angel of death is going to pass over the people of Egypt. And uh, it'll be about midnight, and every firstborn male in the land of Egypt is going to die. And he goes on to tell to Moses, then there will be a great cry of anguish through all the land of Egypt, such as never was before or ever will be heard again. That's a cry that I thank God uh, didn't reach my ears. I can't imagine the horrible anguish, the screaming, the, the pain, the sudden awareness as parents woke up to discover their oldest son had died in the night. And then as the cries of unspeakable grief just continued to grow louder and louder, as the discovery was made in each house after house after house after house, but not every house. Because some houses were skipped by the angel of the death, right? Why? Why were they skipped? Was it like the angel of the Lord was some junior varsity Santa Claus and missed some? Nope. Was it, was it because some houses were more wealthy than others? Nah. Was it because some people inside the house were, were a little bit more moral than the others? Nope. It was... Because as Moses explained to the Israelites what was going to happen, he, he gave them this 
understanding of what the gift of deliverance would look like. You must take some of the blood, you put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses. And, and then God says, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and I will strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the, the Lord, I will execute judgments against all the gods of Israel. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. So the reason some houses were affected and yet others were not is because of the blood that was on the door. The Israelites were saved because of the blood. And the blood was simply an evidence that a life had already been given as a substitute and a sacrifice in that home. So, 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 so here is this moment, everybody wakes up. It's, 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 I would not have wanted to hear that. But here's the crazy part. When you tell this story in 2024, a lot of people hear this and like, the blood, that's just gross. Well, I got news for you. The story of Egypt and the Passover isn't the only time blood was used in Scripture. Uh, it wasn't the last time it was used in Scripture. In fact, our, our author tells us in, in verse 18 here, uh, he says, for that is why even the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. For when every command had been proclaimed by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves, goats, along with water, scarlet, wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that was ordained for you. In this moment of the giving of the Ten Commandments, Moses comes down. You don't get this part on the, the Ten Commandments, by the way. Moses comes down. He has the, the scroll. In fact, let me put these verses in front of you. It says, he, he, he sent out the Israelite, young Israelite men. They offered burnt offerings. They sacrificed bulls as fellowship offerings. Moses took half the blood from the bulls and he uh, set it in basins. And the other half of the blood, he, he splattered all over the altar. Then he took the covenant scroll and he read it out loud to the people. And the people heard the reading of the covenant and they responded to Moses and said, we're, gonna, we're going to do and obey all that the Lord has commanded. We won't even comment on that. We're just gonna keep going, Okay. Moses takes the blood, splattered it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. Um, anybody else think, you gross? But that's not the last time that this happened. <laughs> um, you also have, um, in verse 21, it tells us right here, in the same way, he sprinkled the tabernacle and all the articles of worship with blood. See, according to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The worship in the tabernacle, as we've talked about, it was a bloody sacrifice regularly. So the altar would be covered with blood. The mercy seat would be covered with blood. The, 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 the inside of the tabernacle, the outside of the tabernacle, the instruments used, the floor, the people, the priests, the priest, priest's clothes, the priest's hands. There's just so much blood everywhere. And you and I may find it gory, and we may find it gross. We might find it ugly. We might even find it offensive. We might find it hard to stomach. Some of us, we hear about blood, see blood. It starts, we were just talking about it in the back this morning. Some of us are just like, rip, rip. we didn't know that that was going to be how somebody in my household responded when they saw blood until my oldest got stitches. And my oldest went in for stitches. And there was a person who I love very, very much, but I'm not going to say her name because I didn't ask her permission. who was escorted to her own little cot while my son was getting sick. Blood affects us that way. I want to be really direct. 
If you're sitting here this morning and you hear all this stuff about blood, and in your heart and in your mind you're saying, the bloody sacrifice isn't necessary. No, no, See, what God could have done, because he's a God of love, he is love, so he could just love everybody. He could just overlook things. He, he could just be that. Or, or we should just have to go to a, a certain church service a couple times a month and everything should be fine and dandy. Or, or we should just have to give a certain amount of money to a good cause and then we don't ever have to worry about it. If that's your way of thinking, you are in danger of becoming just like the audience our author is writing to. The author is writing to a group of people who have followed Jesus and then said, you know what, I think there might be a better way. And our author is saying, there is no better way. You're actually missing the point of Scripture. You're missing the point of Hebrews. If you run to something else that isn't Jesus and isn't a picture of his sacrifice on the cross for your sins, then what you are running to is utterly and totally ineffective. Whatever you run to, it can't get you access to God. It can't make you perfect. It can't cleanse your guilty conscience. Only the blood can. That's what verse 22 says. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But why? Why blood? Blood is meant to remind us of something that is really important that we tend to forget. It's meant to remind us that God is holy. The picture of blood is meant to remind us that God is, in fact, holy. We don't understand how holy God is. Holy is one of those church words that we throw around, like, like um, um, propitiation. And you're like, yeah, I love that word. No, you don't. Holy. It's a word that we use a lot. We have absolutely very, we have no understanding of how, insignific how significant it is. Not insignificant, how significant it is. When you say God is holy, what you're saying is this. God is infinitely above and beyond you. He is utterly and wonderfully different than you. Let me explain it just real fast. You ready? You and I have a beginning. God has no beginning. He has no end. He's eternal. I need air to breathe. I need water to drink. I need food to eat or I end up dying. God needs none of those things. He is self-sufficient. He relies on nothing and no one for his existence. I can only be one place at a time, although I've been working on it. But God's omnipresent. He's everywhere, always present. I'm limited in power. God is omnipotent, possessing all power. I'm limited in knowledge. No matter how much I study, no matter how dedicated I am to study, no matter how many people I talk to, no matter how many books I read, there will always be something to learn. But God himself is all-knowing, omniscient. He has full knowledge of past, present, future on every topic. God isn't just a bigger, better version of you. That's like saying the sun is a bigger, better version of a candle. That's, that's like saying the ocean is a bigger, better version of a raindrop or saying that the Arctic ice cap is a bigger, better version of a snowflake or saying the universe is just a, a bigger, better version of the room that we sit in. God is holy. He, he is off our scale. It's not like we're going to measure ourselves with God. Okay, uh, I got a 57%, but God got 100. No, 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 no. God breaks every scale he gets on. That's what it means to be holy. He is utterly and wonderfully unlike us. That's why we're told um, in Isaiah 55, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. And so as you sit down, you're like, I need to understand why God is, you're not gonna be able to do that because God is holy. 
Because God is holy, there is no imperfection in him or near him. Any imperfection would impugn his character. Any imperfection would call into question his integrity. And so that leads us to a significant problem that we need to wrestle with because while God is holy, (laughs) we aren't. So every time you see the mention of a blood sacrifice, you need to be reminded that we don't walk nonchalantly into the presence of a holy God. Walking nonchalantly into the presence of a holy God is like walking nonchalantly into the cage of a hungry lion. He's going to consume you. You don't belong in the presence of a holy God. Every single one of us is born a sinner. Um, There's a lot of arguments about that in today's culture, which I find hilarious. Obviously, the people are like, no, babies aren't born sinners. Obviously, have never put their children in nursery. Um, unless, 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 and I may be wrong, maybe some of you did teach your children this. Mine, mine. Maybe you taught them that. Did you teach them? No, they just know how to do that themselves. Oh, how about that? (laughs) Sorry, I love you. So does Jesus. We'll get there. It's it's coming. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It is funny to me. You read scripture. You, it's amazing. I mean, okay, so this is, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's beefy. There's a lot in here, isn't there? And you, you get to the very beginning. I mean, you're talking, wait, that's all the introduction comments. I'm not even there yet. Hang on. You get to page one. Page one, and, and God creates. It's wonderful. It's amazing. And behold, it was very good. Chapter two, this poetic retelling of the amazing act of creation as God has put it all in display and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. It's perfect. Chapter three. I'm not even on page three yet in my Bible. And it all goes down the turlet. Adam and Eve make a decision that they are more important than God, that God is holding out on them. So they're going to sin in awful rebellion against God, which leads us to chapter four, where the first murder happens. Then chapter five, filled with this this genealogy that is marked by this phrase that is just captivating, seeing that we're on page four of my Bible, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. I mean, something has changed dramatically right out of the gate, and it is. It's sin came into the world. Not only are you born a sinner, you have a lot of practice being a sinner. I don't care who you are. Not a single one of us can sit here and be like, I've never sinned. No, somebody in here has at least lied, cheated, stolen, been angry. Yeah, but I didn't murder. (laughs) Brother, listen, I'm glad you didn't murder. But if you go to jail for siphoning funds off of your corporation, you can't stand in front of the judge and say, but I didn't murder. No, you are guilty of stealing, embezzlement, You're going to jail. You are guilty in one, you are held responsible for all. But I don't don't sin as much as other people do. Okay, first of all, (laughs) all sin deserves the death penalty. Someone has to pay it. Sin is a big deal because it's so unlike God. Problem is when you say, I'm not as bad as others, You're using the wrong comparison. 
you're comparing yourself to somebody else. I, this is goofy. Um, so you got a, a, a dude, uh, a fella. He's in college. I won't use his name. He's not in college anymore. Uh, but he is, he is five, six. Five, six. But that's fine. Five foot, six inches. That's okay. But, but he, he was just like, I'm so short. I'm so short. I'm so short. And then a guy moved into the dorm and he was five, four. And he was like, yes, I'm huge. Well, in comparison to one person, homie, no, you're not. You're comparing yourself to the wrong thing. If you compare yourself to God, then you're in trouble because God's holy and you're not. But listen, Frank, I, I, did, I did sin. I did sin. I'll, I'll sin, but I did it in ignorance. I didn't know. Okay, that's fine. Ignorance or not, you still offended the holy God. Ignorance or not, if the stove is left on, oh, I didn't know it was left on. Does that mean it doesn't burn your hand when you put it on top of it? Ignorance is no, no excuse. Every time you see a sacrifice, be reminded that every sin of all time will be punished by God. That punishment, the cost, the wages, the salary for sinning is death. Aren't you glad you came to church today? If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I'm glad you came to church today. Because the picture of blood in the scripture is meant to be a reminder of how holy our God is. How unholy we are. And how through no effort of our own, we can bridge that gap. That every sin that we've ever committed must be punished. And that one day, one day we will die. The, 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 the death that it was experienced, the death that was introduced after Adam and Eve was a spiritual death, a separation from God. But there's also a physical death. It's appointed unto man once to die, our passage says. It's, it's, it's on the calendar. God made the appointment. It's coming for every single one of us, 100%. That's, that's the physical death. And let me tell you this. If you die physically before you have, have, have had that spiritual separation from God rectified, well, then you face a third death. It's called eternal death. And forever you're going to be separated from God. And there is nothing you could do about it yourself. But God. See, God so loved the world. They didn't give us a little pithy Bible verse to put up during football games. God did something far greater. He loved the world so very much, he gave his own son. That if you would believe in him, then you wouldn't experience that eternal death, but you'd have eternal life. That's love. Love is that God loved us and sent his son for us. So Jesus Christ lived a life that none of us could live. And, 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 and then he, he was spotless. He was he was guiltless. He was sinless. And, and then he died to put away, to carry away, to bear our sins in his body on the cross. Look, look with me at, at, verse, at verse 26 here. But now, Jesus Christ, he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
by the sacrifice of himself, he stood in your place condemned. He took the wrath that was rightfully yours to carry. He died the death that you should have died. How in the world can we be made right with a holy God when we are as unholy as, as we are? You can't do anything yourself, but God has come toward you. Jesus Christ came this, this one time, it says. He appeared one time at the end of ages in the, for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. He came to remove your sin. Think about that for a second. He came to carry your sin away as far as the east is from the west. Jesus came and bore your sin in his body so that you could be forgiven, so that you could have access to God, so that you could be made clean, so that you could have a clear conscience so that you could come into God's presence and call him Father. Jesus Christ came and carried your sins away. This is it's one of the greatest hymns of all time. It is well. I love that song. I'm not going to sing it for you because I love you. <laughs> we, we so misinterpret that song sometimes, though. It, 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 when peace like a river attendeth my way... Sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, you've taught me to say, it's well with my soul. Beautiful, wonderful. But, 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 but we get to verse three and we're still doing the, when peace like a river. Oh, we're gonna sing all verses? Cool, let's keep going. Have you ever paid attention to the third verse? In that song, everything should change at the third verse. Because that third verse says, listen, my sin. And then the author does one of these. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. He's carried it away so that you can have access to the Father. You remember, we've been talking about the Day of Atonement over and over and over again, but you remember last week we talked about how the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies with the sacrifice and all the people would gather throughout the Day of Atonement and they would watch him move from station to station bringing sacrifice after sacrifice and the whole time would be ebb and flow like ooh, oh, and they'd weep and they would repent and all these different things. But, but ultimately, it would culminate in them waiting for him to emerge from the Holy of Holies to see as they waited with bated breath if, if their sacrifice would be, effect, uh, uh, be accepted <laughs> as the high priest slowly emerged from the Holy of Holies into the holy place. The people would rejoice with huge joy. They were once again, at least for another year, safe and sound from the wrath of a holy God. Their consciences would be soothed that day you hear the end of our passage? Let me go back and read verse 26 again. And now he has appeared one time at the end of ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as certain as it is appointed for people to die once and after that the judgment, so also, just as certain, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. He's not coming to bear sin. He already did that. What's he coming for? to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. See, just as the people stood outside the Holy of Holies, waited for the high priest to emerge so they could celebrate the fact that they and God, at least for that moment, were good. Just as certain as it is that every single one of us one day will die and face judgment, Christ will return. And what he's going to return to do is to deliver us from the effects of sin. Don't, don't confuse the message of the gospel. 
The message of the gospel is, is, is not, Jesus came to fix your problems. No, he didn't. If you, if you bought into that Jesus, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus came to solve a much greater problem. The fact that God is holy and you're not. Jesus came to purchase you, to redeem you, to forgive you, and to pay for your sin. Now, the problems and the difficulties, those get fixed when he returns. See, Jesus died once to carry away our sin. Jesus is going to appear a second time to carry away his children. Every time you see blood in the scripture, be reminded God is holy and you are not. But thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. A God who has mercied us, who has loved us by sending his son Jesus Christ to die where we should have died. Doesn't make us jump through hoops, but instead says any who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So this morning, we're going to close our time together doing two things. Um, First, we're going to take a moment to reflect as we take communion together. Again, communion is another one of those church words. What is, what is communion? Communion is an opportunity. It's a picture. It's a time for you and I to stop and look at an image that Jesus left for each and every one of us of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Why? To remind us that God is holy and we aren't. But because of God's rich mercy and grace toward us, we can come boldly into his presence. Communion is a reminder that the bloody death of Jesus was both the requirement to satisfy God's wrath and the greatest expression of God's love towards us. And so that's what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna take communion together. So if you're a believer and you know Jesus Christ and you may not be walking perfectly, but man, you are, you are committed to holding on to him through every storm and that you've placed your faith and trust in him, then, then I'm gonna invite you to take communion with us. And so what that means is just logistically speaking, in a moment, I'm gonna pray. And when I'm done praying, I'll dismiss you to receive the elements. You'll leave your uh, row, get the aisle row, You'll leave your seat to the right. You'll make your way to the front of your section where there's tables set up in the communion elements. You'll take those two cups that are stacked on top of each other and you'll return back to your seat. And I'd ask that you just wait to take communion until we all have our elements and are able to take it together. If you, if you do need the gluten-free elements, those are available back at the table in front of the, the sound booth. Listen, and if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as Savior, um, first, I'm gonna ask that you don't take communion. Second, I'm going to tell you this. There's a reason you're here this morning. The reason you're here this morning is to be reminded that God is holy. You aren't. But God is also merciful. And he has given you the answer of your sin problem in Jesus Christ. And so as everybody else dismisses themselves to come receive the elements, I want to invite you to make your way, if you don't know Christ, back to our prayer corner where folks would be thrilled to answer your questions, to tell you a little bit more about how to know Jesus. And it's really simple. It's just confessing with your mouth what your life demonstrates every day, that you're a sinner and you need a savior, that Jesus is that savior. So if you're here this morning, I wanna invite you to do that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the beauty and the, the mercy, the grace that you show to us through the message of the gospel and through this picture of communion. I pray that as we take these elements into our hands, that we would continue to comprehend or attempt to comprehend the, the breadth 
and the height and the depth and the love of God in Jesus Christ. I pray this morning as we look at these elements, you would flood our hearts with gratitude for the love you've shown to us. For someone here this morning who may not know Christ, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they would simply confess and call on Christ to be their savior. Lord, we thank you for the the, the precious gift of the blood of Christ. May we, every time we see these elements, be reminded of what it cost. It's in the precious name of Jesus I do pray. Amen.